Um, yeah, just such a wonderful time. Thrilled to pray for one another. Um, we this November has been our church's thank offering month. It traditionally has been. It is this year, and uh, just so looking forward to the way God is going to provide. Uh, but because it is our thank offering month, I have the honor and the privilege and the blessing of getting to speak about giving today. Um, but I must just say, in preparation for this, I am acutely aware and was acutely aware of the fact that preaching on giving can make some people feel incredibly uncomfortable because messages on giving can sometimes come across as incredibly manipulative and condemnatory uh, in many ways. They can come across as insensitive to the financial situation of people. It can be incredibly uncomfortable to hear a message on giving because it can be so convicting. As the Holy Spirit ministers to you, you realize just how unfaithful you have been with what God has given to you. And not just talking about our finances, but our time and our energy and our talents, as well as our treasure, our finances. And I think there's also a space where it becomes uncomfortable because we're so worried that we don't slip into the ungodly doctrines of health, wealth, and prosperity preaching. And because of these reasons, it tends to be a topic avoided and not really spoken on much, particularly in our culture, in the Western world, where there is a lot of affluence. But as Mark and Shelley shared last week, Mark spoke about the fact that teaching on giving is the second most spoken about issue in all of Scripture. The only other topic that's spoken about more than giving is the topic of God himself. And so we have to go there. We have to go to the Scriptures and go, God, what are you saying to us about giving? What does giving look like? And what are some principles that we can apply to our lives with regards to giving? But before we get into that, we're going to unpack a Scripture together. But before we get into that, I just want to say this. As we preach on this and as I share this this morning... It was very clear to me that God wants us to understand this more than anything else. Giving begins with the heart and not with your wallet. Giving begins with the heart and touches every area of your life, not just your finances. It touches the area of your time, your talents, your energy, and your treasure. So when God speaks to us about principles from his word, when it comes to giving, it's not just about money. It so often is made just about money. But it's about everything that we have. Giving comes from the heart. It's an overflow of the heart before it is an overflow of anything else in our lives. In Matthew chapter 22, verse 17 to 21, Jesus is being tested by some religious leaders and some Roman officials with regards to whether they should be paying taxes or not. And Jesus says this to them when he's asked, should we be paying taxes? They try to trap him and Jesus says, Tell us then, he's asked this question, what is your opinion? Is it right to pay imperial taxes or not? Jesus says, show me the coin used for paying tax. They brought him a denarius and he asked them, whose image is this? And whose inscription is on it? Caesar's, they replied. Then he said to them, so give back to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. It's an unbelievably profound answer. Jesus just smashes them with this delivery of a perfect answer. And we often use this as a way to speak into doing what is right, and it's correct. Pay what we need to pay, where we need to pay it. But what we often miss is what Jesus ended off with is more important than what he started with. 
Giving to Caesar is important, but giving back to God is more important than anything else. And Jesus takes this coin and he sees that there's an image of Caesar engraved on it and an inscription that is Caesar's. And so Jesus uses that as a reason to give back to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. But what we miss is that we also have an image on us. We are also endowed with an image. And there's an inscription written on our hearts from birth that belongs to the Lord. We are created in the image of God. And so Jesus says, give to Caesar what is Caesar's, but give to God what belongs to God. In other words, every single bit of you. Give it back to him. Genesis chapter 1 says, we are made in the image and the likeness of God. If the coin belongs to Caesar because it has his image on it, then you belong to God because you were created in his image. But more importantly, more importantly than our money is our hearts. The first and greatest commandment, Mark chapter 12, verse 30, it's recited and it says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. In other words, the first and greatest commandment is, give yourself wholly to God. Every single bit of you. And then it follows on naturally that if you give yourself wholly to God, if you love Him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, then what follows is our time, energy, talents, and treasure. It won't even be a question of giving just being about finances. It's every area of your life we give ourselves to the Lord. So as we speak about giving today, understand that the area of giving and the principles that come out of God's Word apply not only to finances, but to all of us, to every single thing that we have whether it be emotional, mental, physical, financial, it belongs to the Lord. First, give ourselves to God, and all the rest will flow. And this is so evident in the text we're going to read together today. But before we read that, I just want to give you a bit of context. Paul is writing to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, and we're going to read just verse 1 to 5. But Paul is on a mission. He's, he's on a mission. He's been preaching the gospel and he's collecting money from different churches. And he's trying to raise funds for poor Christians in Jerusalem. And so he's on his way to the church in Corinth next. But he's just visited Macedonia. He's been with the Macedonian churches. And so this letter to the Corinthians includes an exhortation of the church In Macedonia, Paul writes to them and he sends a letter to the Corinthians and he says, I just want you to know, I'm going to be with you soon and I'm going to be asking you to give. And primarily here is speaking about finances. And I'm going to want you to give. But before I get there, let me just tell you about what this church has done. Let me tell you about the Macedonians. And so Paul writes a recommendation and a plea to the church in Corinth using the church in Macedonia as an example for what it looks like to give. Drawing principles from their giving and hoping that the Corinthians would apply. And I want to be honest with you, as I read this and as I spoke with my wife this morning about this, it is so deeply challenging. It is so deeply challenging. And may the Spirit of God really grab your heart and have you understand that these principles are godly principles and they apply to every area of our life, not just our finances. Time, energy, your gifts, your talents, and your treasure. Let's read together. Paul writes to the Corinthians. He says, Now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. 
in the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in the service to the Lord's people. And they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord and then by the will of God also to us. We're going to be drawing out some principles from this, like I said, today. But understand, please, that these principles apply, like I said, to every area of our life, not just our finances. Starting with verse 5, it says, they gave themselves first of all to the Lord. We're going to start with verse 5 and end with verse 5. The first principle is really simply what I've reiterated or I've stated already. We cannot, cannot freely give to the Lord until our hearts are freely given to Him. That means this church, the churches in Macedonia, gave not out of guilt or compulsion. They didn't give in to a manipulative sermon they didn't give out of a response to manipulation they gave because their hearts were first given to the lord paul ends with that in verse 5 he says they gave themselves first to the lord and then by god's grace they gave themselves to us they gave because they wanted to they gave because they willingly surrendered their hearts and their lives to the lord everything they had belongs to god and so out of the freedom of their hearts so they gave And they were free because they gave themselves first to God. There is a difference between giving begrudgingly and giving freely. The difference is not what you give and how much you give, but it's the state of the heart when it's given. The opposite would be believers who are weighed down by the cares of this world and materialism and a desire for self-preservation and who give because they feel compelled to give because of some manipulative sermon or some guilt trip that they've been given. And often at times, that manipulation comes not from the scriptures, but from whoever's preaching, own prejudices and own sinfulness. Some tele-evangelists come to mind. However, when we give ourselves to the Lord and we recognize that there are some godly principles when it comes to giving and we allow ourselves to be given to the Lord first, our motivation for giving changes. When we're able to say to the Lord, I recognize that you give and you take away and that everything I have is yours, we realize that nothing we have is ours. And it sounds so obvious to say that, but if we're honest with ourselves, if I'm honest with myself, then I think the stuff that I own and that I have is mine. And I can super spiritually pretend and, you, and, and say that it belongs to God, but in my heart I know that I think it's mine. But when I'm able to give that over to God and actually remember that I'm just a steward of the things that he gives me, it becomes a lot easier to be able to give that away, regardless of what that is, whether time, talent, treasure, or energy. When we give ourselves to the Lord, we gladly give back to him. Then we are free. Once we open clenched fists, right, whether it's whatever it is we're holding on to, we stop trying to hold on to everything, then it becomes a freedom to give. For Jesus and for us, the motivation for giving is everything. And this is what he commends the Macedonian church for. Giving is not about money. Giving is about a state of the heart and understanding that God first gave to us. 
which is point number two. Giving is an act of grace. Paul says, and now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian church. When Paul speaks about the grace that was on them, he's speaking about the fact that God gave them a grace to give the way that they did, but also the grace was there because they understood the grace that they had received, that they were saved by grace through faith alone, and that what God had given them could never have been bought. There's nothing you can do to buy back and to pay for what Jesus has given to us so freely. And when you get that, you get grace. And grace works. It's the whole book of James. You know you've got grace when your heart is free. And what you own can be freely given to God. The Macedonians understood that freely we've received and so freely we give, regardless of what it is that we're giving. As Paul writes this, I just I recognize this is the pattern of Christian living. Freely we've, give, we've received and so freely we give. We give as a result of what God first gave to us in Jesus. Grace undergirds all that we do as Christians. And the understanding that God is a free gift giver and requires nothing in return besides our allegiance and our obedience to him. We love him because he first loved us. John chapter 3, verse 16, it's not going to come up here, but we know it well. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him would have eternal life. God has made the first move. God always makes the first move. Everything you have, church, every single thing you have is as a result of the grace of God in your life. Let me put it this way. Giving cheerfully or willingly does not buy you God's love. And I think sometimes people have been lured into believing that. That the more you give, the more God loves. And then you get burnt doing that. I want to say this, it's the opposite way around. As a result of knowing that you are loved and have received and have been received, and as a result of receiving the grace of God, so giving becomes an overflow. Giving is a testament to what you've already received. And giving proves that you understand that what you've given is so significant that what you give away can't compare. So giving is as a result of grace and is grace needed for it. But point number three, giving is not necessarily related to income. Paul says, he says, out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. In this verse, Paul puts together four things that don't necessarily seem to go together. Two of them do and the other two do. But severe trial and poverty, joy and generosity. We would separate those. Paul puts them together. He's writing about the Macedonian church to the Corinthians and he almost says this. He almost says their trials and their poverty have somehow produced a joy in them which has resulted in extreme generosity. We think, I tend to think, that circumstances dictate how well I feel or how good I feel or whether I should or shouldn't be giving. And it's normally when things are going well and I'm feeling good that I feel like I'm going to be blessed enough to give or like I'm feeling in the mood to give. Paul says, extreme trial, extreme poverty, extreme joy, extreme generosity. That is such a challenge to me. It just doesn't compute. The phrase rich generosity 
has this word picture associated with it. It's as if you have a bag full of stuff, whether it's time, talent, money, energy, and you've just opened it up and said, yeah, come and take as much as you want. At no point am I going to close this. Come and take and come and take and come and take. The problem is when we apply that only to money. It applies to everything that we have. And that's the sense that Paul has, or that's the sense that we need to get about what he's saying about the Macedonian church. Their trials, their poverty, didn't stop them from having extreme joy, and the extreme joy led to them going, just come and take whatever you need. These people were dirt poor. Dirt poor. We don't know what the persecution was, what the trial was. We think it might be extreme persecution, where they were being martyred for their faith. Most of us would say to a person like that, who's extremely poor, just hold on for a while. It's okay. You don't have to give to God. Wait until you have excess, and then you can give out of the excess that you have. It doesn't seem wise for you to be given, or to be giving right now. And often our wisdom is actually fear masquerading around as wisdom. Or selfishness masking array, masquerading around as wisdom. We can sound very wise, but at the end of the day, actually be harboring fear and selfishness and a desire for self-preservation. The Macedonians' wisdom was this. We are so poor, we're running out of money, so we better give it away before we don't have any to give away. That was their attitude. I'm not saying we don't be wise. Mark spoke last week incredibly about being wise with our finances. I think there's godly principles there. But I think sometimes, again, like I've said, we use wisdom to hide behind not giving or as a reason not to give. The Macedonian churches understood that giving had nothing to do with how much money they gave. They understood that Jesus defines giving and appropriate giving because of the state of the heart or as a result of the state of the heart and not by the size of the gifts. In short, giving, again, is not about money. It's about your heart, and it applies to more than just money. Where are you spending your time? Where are you giving your energy? Where are you using your talents, and where are you spending your money? All of those things, the principles of giving apply to you. It's this great paradox of a heart made free by willingly submitting yourself to Jesus. Principle number four, giving is not necessarily related to positive circumstances. Verse two, Paul says, they're in very severe trial. I don't think we know what it means to be in very severe trial. I think it's coming. I think the church is going to face very severe trial, but I don't think we have an understanding yet. It's certainly not in the Western church. It says, in the midst of very severe trial, the overflowing joy produced rich generosity. But that didn't hinder them. Their giving was not dependent on good circumstances, so their generosity was not hindered by bad. It's like when you're able to draw close to God in good circumstances, you're most certainly able to draw near to Him in bad. The problem is we tend to stray from God in the good times and draw near to Him when we so desperately feel we need Him. Giving for the Macedonian church was not dependent on good circumstances. I believe it was a way of life for them. They gave in the good and the bad times. They gave because their hearts were fully committed to Jesus. It really is different to the way the world says we need to live. They gave from their deficit and in times of trouble, and they did so with overflowing joy, not begrudgingly. 
Jesus was the one who said, and this is the principle that I believe that they've applied here, he who wants to keep his life will lose it, and he who wants to lose his life for my sake will gain it. I think there's a biblical principle there that not only applies to our spiritual life, but also to all that we have. You, you want to gain more time, well then give it away to Jesus. You want to be blessed with more energy, well then give it away to Jesus. It's not health, wealth, and prosperity preaching. It's just, I think, a biblical principle where Jesus says, this is the way the kingdom works. It's backwards. Lose your life, gain it. Try and keep your life, you're going to lose it. Principle number five. When the heart is free, there's no limit to how much we give. Paul writes, For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. The Macedonians, though they were incredibly poor, gave as much as they could, and then they gave more. And then they gave more. This is also incredibly uncomfortable for me. Might not be for you, but it was really uncomfortable for me. They gave more than they should have given. They just kept giving. There must have been many people around going, this is not very prudent, this is not very wise, this doesn't look very good. You're being silly here. How are you going to live? And it's almost this picture I have in my head is as they hear that they're spurred on to give more. They gave and they gave and they gave and when they got to their limit, they blew right past the limit and kept on giving. And I'm sure it wasn't just financially as well. I'm sure they were dedicated to each other, giving each other their time, giving each other their talents, giving their energy, being with one another, giving financially, making sure that there was provision within the church. I want to say, church, as I've evaluated my life, this very seldom happens for me. just want to be honest. I, I give to a point where I feel like oh, this is what we can give. Very seldom does it happen where I bust past the grace line for me and go into extravagant giving. I've had to repent of that. We've had to repent of that as a family. And I'm not just talking about finances. Right? This sort of thing can only happen when the heart's free. This sort of thing can only happen when Jesus is the center when we've given ourselves over to him because we realize his image and his inscription is on us and we belong to him. I just want to point this other thing out though. Paul says they bust past the line of appropriate giving into silly giving entirely on their own. In other words, he didn't manipulate them. They weren't manipulated. They didn't feel guilty. They didn't give begrudgingly. It was, if, it was as if they saw this gave to God and then realized how much of a blessing that was and then was like, keeping on to this is going to be less of a blessing than giving it away. Can we give you more? Which is point number six. When the heart is free, we look for opportunities to give even more. It says they urgently pleaded for the privilege of sharing in the service to the Lord. The Macedonian church begged Paul to give more money away. I've been in full-time ministry for 17 years. Maybe as individuals you've done that every now and then, but I've never heard of a community begging their leadership for them to be able to give more away. I have never heard, I've honestly never heard of a church saying to leadership, hey, I know we took up a thank offering last week. Please, can we do it again this week? I know it was our thank offering month on uh, November, but can, can we do that every month? I'm begging you, let me give more. I'm not, I'm not saying that there aren't people in this church who do that, but as a community, 
I've, I've never heard of a church do that. Asking for money is probably one of the number one reasons people don't come to church, leave the church, or become ice cream Christians. Like, I call them ice cream Christians. You go have a lick here and a lick there and a lick here. Right? It's not because they're cold, but it's because they want this flavor and that flavor. And when they preach about money, then they leave from there and they go there. Because it's like they're, all, they're only after my money is this thought and this, this is a sentiment. And I'm not saying there aren't places like that. It's God who's after your money. It's God who's after your time, your talent, and your energy. It belongs to him. It's not yours. And so when we read the word and the principles that are taken out of the word, it's not people that are after it. It's God who's after it, and it's before you and the Lord to decide what's appropriate to give away when he requires it. I was reading in preparation for this an article about a pastor named Jerry Falwell, and he's a pastor of a Baptist church in the States, um, and there's many NGOs he's a part of. He's got quite a big church over in the States, and so you can imagine a lot of finances needed to keep it going and to do what they do. Um, and he once joked, he said in an interview, he said, when I die, my friends are going to put on my tombstone, and the beggar died. Right? And I think it's because we feel like sometimes in ministry, if you're part of an NGO, you know what I'm talking about. The Christian community always seems to be asking for money. I can imagine Paul felt this way as he was going from place to place preaching the gospel. I'm sure there were people who assumed of him, he's just into the money. Oh, I wonder what he's using that money for. I'm not going to give because I don't know what he's going to spend it on. This guy wants to spend it on himself. Look at his lavish lifestyle. All sorts of excuses not to give and to make it all about money when it was actually about their heart. And so I'm sure Paul really felt this. But when he comes to the Macedonian church, he doesn't have to ask them. They beg him, please, can we give you more money? Principle number seven, if we give grudgingly, the problem is probably not a lack of money. They urgently pleaded for the privilege of sharing. Church, lack of money is very seldom a problem when it comes to giving. Because for Jesus, it's not about the amount of money you give, it's that you give. I would love to have 10 million rand to give away. But the reality is, if I'm not giving one rand of my 10 rand now, and I'm not talking about percentages, yeah? But if I'm not giving a small part away of the small that I have, I'm not going to be giving away a big part of big that I have in the future. We always think that. And the reason why we think that is because when we have 100 million rand, we think 10 million rand isn't going to cost us that much. We'll still have 90 million to live on. Right? The problem is not the amount of money we have or time we have or energy we have or talents we have. The problem is a heart issue. If you're not giving away now, you're not going to give away then. It's this issue that we all struggle with. This desire for self-preservation and I think sometimes, and I'm going to say this about myself, if you can relate to that, that's fine. We need to repent of it. We can be intellectually and emotionally and spiritually dishonest with ourselves. And we tend to not be honest about how welded to the world we actually are. And how much circumstances dictate our happiness. And how much finances actually play a part in that. But if you give begrudgingly... It's because you don't see giving as a privilege. The Macedonian church saw giving as a privilege, and so they were freed to give as much as they were required to give and bust beyond that. 
Don't lie to yourself and think that the amount of money you have is the reason why you're not giving. Be honest with yourself before the Lord and look deep into your hearts and realize that actually it is a heart issue. Because even if you give 50 cents before the Lord with freedom, it's better than giving nothing. Or giving 10 million rand begrudgingly. Principle number eight, and we're almost done. Once we yield ourselves to the Lord, then we find the joy that we seek. So often we want to find joy in the things that never, ever produce joy. We want to bind ourselves to things that just suck joy and cause concern more than we bind ourselves to things that actually produce life-giving joy. Paul says, in the midst of very severe trial, the overflowing joy and extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. Because the Macedonians were free, there was a joy that they inherited in the Lord. That joy became their strength, like it says in Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 10. And out of the joy that they had, so they gave, and that giving welled up in greater joy. It's this beautiful perpetual cycle that just fed on itself. There are some that are bad, and there are some that are incredibly good. And as the Macedonians experienced the joy of the Lord, they're like, nothing we own can purchase this. We've seen that in giving away what we have, we get more joy. We want more joy. Lord, take what we have. Time, energy, talents, and treasure. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul goes on and he speaks about this. He emphasizes this. He says, each man should give what he's decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. I might not be thanked for saying this, but if you cannot give joyfully and cheerfully, if you're feeling reluctant about giving, if you feel obligated to give and you feel manipulated and pressured into giving, then don't give. Don't. Because you're not going to bring blessing on yourself and God is not going to be pleased with that giving. People might. We don't know the state of your heart and what you have to give is between you and the Lord. But don't give if the heart is not willing to give. Because that's not the type of sacrifice God desires, whether it's time, talent, treasure, or energy. The motive of the heart matters. Joyfully giving God honors God and blesses His people. Principle number nine. Once we have joy, giving will be a blessing and not a burden. This is sort of reiterating what I've just said. But the Macedonians could keep on giving and give and go beyond the point of what was reasonable because there was a freedom that they had. It wasn't a burden. And the last principle, principle number 10. Once the burden is gone, we will surprise ourselves and others by how much we are free to give. Paul says, and they exceeded our expectations. Paul knew that this was a poor church. Paul knew that these people were under extreme pressure. They were facing extreme trial. And so he comes to them expecting a certain amount of giving. He doesn't back off from them. He says, you guys are going to have to give. I implore you to give, right? Out of a heart that's received from God, give. He gets there. He's met by people who are begging him if they can give more. And they exceed the expectations. If they had just given a little bit, Paul would have been happy. If they had just given a little bit, God would have been honored and blessed. And the poor people in Jerusalem would have been taken care of. Because of the other money Paul had collected. All would have been well. There was no obligation for them to go beyond what they had been called to give. But they blew right past that expectation. That's what happens when we're free. 
That's what happens when we give ourselves first to God. That's what happens when we're filled with joy. That's what happens when giving becomes a blessing and not a burden. You exceed your ability to give. And when that happens, I don't know if you can remember, God blessed the Israelite people so that they could be a blessing. They interpreted that as if they were special and kept the blessing. When God blesses you, you are meant to be blessed to be a blessing. And there is a line where the flesh is able to give, but then you move past into a supernatural realm where the giving goes beyond the flesh and beyond what makes sense to the human mind and heart. And when that starts to happen, you step into a realm where you start to minister to people and they'll go, what on earth is going on? And it's that type of blessing and it's that type of heart that is experiencing more opportunity than not to preach the gospel and tell people about the goodness and the greatness of Jesus. Free grace leads to free giving. Grace is abundant, and so giving should also be abundant. Not just your money, but your time, your talents, and your energy. That's how grace works. Grace works. That's what James is all about. If you've got grace, you've got works. I want to end with this. Jesus says, give back to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God what is God's. Every single thing you have is God's. Every single thing. Ask the worship team to come up. This church is an incredibly generous church. I want to say I've been blessed by people in this church, by families in this church. As a family, we've been blessed. As a community, we've been blessed. Other communities have been blessed. There is joy and there is freedom and there is grace in Connect Church and it is welled up in extreme generosity. But I want to pray that as you go and as a family spend time before the Lord, as an individual spend time before the Lord, that you never think you've ever arrived at the point where you've given and outgiven God. I want to pray that we continue to be a community that don't start to clam up because of circumstances that are out of our control. But keep going to the God who owns a cattle on a thousand hills. Keep going to the God who has always and will always provide for you. He's always been faithful. We're going to sing that song. All our lives, he's been faithful. We've sung it twice. We're going to sing it a third time this morning. And trust God to give you the ability to freely give away what you've been given. Let's pray together. Father, I want to thank you for this church. And I pray, Lord, when all of eternity is something we step into when you wrap up time. Lord, and as you give your commendations and rebuke to different churches and to people for doing things, I pray that this church would receive, Lord, a commendation from you saying, well done, my good and faithful servants. Well done for serving me. Your rich generosity was as a result of receiving my rich grace. I pray, Lord, that we would never become complacent never become worldly, never become, Lord, mundane in our faith and in the area of giving, whether it be our time, talents, treasure, or energy. May it be said of Connect Church in this community that we serve the Lord with everything that we have. In Jesus' name, amen.